Hey everyone and welcome to Radically Normal. This is Michael and I'm here with Andre and on today's episode titled Bad Cup Good Meal, we discuss Mark 14 which includes the betrayal and denial of Jesus, the Last Supper, and Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. We hope you enjoy the conversation. What's up guys? It's really, really fun to actually, you know, be home again and get to record some in person, which is, what's re- which is what we're doing today. Uh, kind of, you know, we're in the season of uh, doing some Christmas shopping, getting ready for our trip and all of that stuff, but it's really nice to, you know, finally have a break. And, um, you know, by the time that this episode releases, uh, the NBA will be restarting, and I'm super pumped for that as well. It's going to have, you know, a bunch of stuff going on before the, before the holidays to look forward to and just keep busy. Yeah, Giannis just signed that huge contract, so he'll probably be pretty happy, but you don't think so. I don't think he'll be happy because he's going to have to, you know, play against the Mavs a few times a year and, and, and see, you know, what could have been teaming up with Luka, and it's going to be really sad that he's not going to actually come to Dallas, but, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, you know, but looking forward to the season, I think that it's pretty balanced, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, looking forward to um, enjoying the Christmas Day games especially. Yeah, and you know, for people who are not basketball watchers, not basketball fans, don't know anything about the NBA, and maybe you're just wondering who a weird guy named Giannis is, uh, there's something better to look forward to this week even than that, which is Christmas. And so, as Andre said, there's some Christmas shopping to get done. Uh, But this is uh, my favorite time of the year, and I'm pumped to go to a candlelight service and just to uh, just think about the incarnation. Yeah, man, spending Christmas with family is going to be so great, Uh, you know, this semester, um, working in Houston, I got to see them a little bit, but I'm excited to enjoy the next few weeks with them before we, we head out uh, to Colorado. You know, I, I was thinking about one other thing though, as as I started recording, and I'm trying to fumble around with, uh, you know, the recording system that we're using a different one today. Um, I don't remember ever worrying about the clicking that I'm doing when fumbling around on my computer, but it has been an issue recently. So. You know, has it has it always been an issue or am I allowed to click now that we're like in person and, and not on Zoom? So I have no idea if it has to do with when we're in person, but this is actually really funny because I have some sticky notes next to me in case I just need to like jot, like jot down a note to show Andre. And I literally just ran down a reminder to show him right before he said that, don't click a lot as we record. And Andre can testify that it says <laughs> oh that God. on the sticky really, note. <laughs> I didn't see you write that either, but I was like trying to... Like look at you know what the date was that we we're gonna release this and, and make sure I was like saying the you know NBA start date correctly and I ended up like using my finger as like the touch screen to not make a clicking noise because Michael's been getting on to me about clicking too much. <laughs> not on to him, but <laughs> there are some like I don't know if if uh, anyone listening has heard him, but there are sometimes clicking noises in the background of of uh, his audio. So uh, we had just talked about that, but I don't remember that being an issue when we recorded like for Nehemiah or even in the summer at all. So yeah, I don't remember that. I'm not really sure. Issue. Yeah, I don't. Sure. I don't really know because I feel like I've always really clicked between different pages and all that. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> Today's a big day because we're gonna be talking about Mark 14, and it's a long chapter, really good chapter, and we're gonna. Try to hit all the highlights and not get too bogged down on on time here. But I think it's yeah. I think we should just go ahead and jump in and and you know see uh, if we can make it through the whole thing, which is the plan. Yeah, it's really good. So just to uh, recap, recently we chapters eleven through thirteen were all on the temple, and that that concluded with the Olivet discourse last week, where we talked about uh, the return of Christ. 
and uh, related topics. So 11 through 13 were like one big chunk on the temple and the future. And this is not like a continuation of that theme. This is like a transition. This is a new piece of the story as we look forward uh, to Jesus being on on the cross. So it's not it's it's a transition to that moment. And so as we begin in 14, the first verse says it's two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Uh, Andre made me do a little segment in season one on the feasts, but the remember the Passover is uh, deals with the Passover lamb and the Exodus uh, and and the uh, the lamb that allowed the, the Lord to pass over their doors and then they had a meal in remembrance. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread was because there was no time for the dough to rise before they had to head out of Egypt. And so that's just a little meal overview before we really get into what's going on here. And, you know, that's a little overview on, on the meal itself. But, you know, very interestingly for me when going through this was that, you know, this would be a time when like everyone's like super amped up and a lot of, you know, Jewish people, I think it was like within like 15 miles or something like that would have to, um, correct me if I'm wrong on the mileage there, but would have to like come and make their way um, to the city um, for this celebration for both of these two two feasts, which are kind of like celebrated back to back. I mean, we see here that the, the chief priests and the scribes are, are, you know, making a plan to plot against Jesus, to, uh, to arrest him, to kill him. Um, and it's really interesting that this is happening like during this time, because the people are like really amped up and they're, you know, in expectation of, uh, the Messiah. And it's like super interesting how the whole time when we've been going through Mark, you know, Jesus told people like, don't, um, don't tell people. And it was specifically for, you know, not to have that political revolt. Um, cause that's not, you know, the reason for which he came, we even saw him in, you know, last episode, the episode before that, you know, when he, he came into the city, um, on a donkey instead of a horse, but you know, these people are an expectation of the Messiah. And we see that the, the, uh, the priests and like the religious leaders, which are trying to revolt against Jesus, um, you know, they're in understanding that, the city is, you know, primed for a revolt right now. Everyone's super amped up and waiting for the Messiah. And, you know, they're scared of that. Uh, and specifically, we see them say that they don't want to, you know, do this plan of theirs during the, these feasts because they don't want an uproar from the people. So we, I, I, it was super interesting to see how um, this, like, aligned with, you know, the culture that we know of the time as well as uh, what we've seen in the rest of, of the book of Mark as, it's, it, you know, it wasn't just oh, they're going to take Jesus and, and kill him. It was kind of, we see how it kind of aligns with uh, with what's cult- culturally going on. But we also see that, we also know that they ended up actually capturing him and killing him during these two feasts. And that also reminds us that, uh, you know, they their plan wasn't in control here. It was, it was actually God's plan in control. So I think it was really interesting to, to think of that from like that cultural aspect. Yeah, it's also interesting because they say not during the feast, There's an, they don't want an uproar, so they're afraid. That's kind of been guiding their decision-making all along. And uh, I don't know why Andre put me on the spot about the mileage, but I did a quick Google search because I was not sure. Uh, the only thing I had thought of was at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you see people coming from all over the place. So I would have thought maybe within 15 miles, some sort of requirement, but this, some article just says that basically, especially in the Greek and Roman eras, which would have been uh, at this time, Jews came from all over the Mediterranean to Jerusalem. So uh, while it certainly wasn't every single Jew from everywhere, perhaps, there were Jews coming from well over 15 miles as well. Yeah, yeah gotcha. So that, yeah, so basically, you know, playing this this uh, this revolt against Jesus and, 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 and fear. Um, but, you know, moving on, we, we also get to see 
you know, how Jesus interacts with his disciples and interacts with other people during this time and, and how it kind of like sets up uh, the path which we've been on this whole time towards uh, the crucifixion. But now we're kind of in, in this like more, you know, rapid fire section where everything is really lining up and we see a lot of prophecies being fulfilled and it's a, a really cool chapter to, to, to walk through. Yeah, this is a great section. And so we get into Jesus being anointed at Bethany. And so he's at Simon's house and a woman has a flask of ointment, which we learn from the text uh, from Mark. It's very costly. And so she begins to anoint Jesus. And some people have a question that seems like a great question. It's it, it, uh, Jesus cared about the poor. It's clear from uh, the Mosaic laws and the Torah that, that God cares about the poor, cares about the sojourner, cares about the widow. So this is a great question. And so we don't know all of the intentions behind the question, although the, some people it does say that they're indignant. Um, but I think that Jesus's response where he says, leave her alone and you can, you'll always have the poor with you, but I'm only here for a short time. Jesus isn't denouncing the poor. Jesus isn't anti-poor. Jesus loves the poor. He says, those are going to be the ones who inherit the kingdom in this upside down picture in the Sermon on the Mount. And so what I think is going on, it kind of reminds me of chapter two, where, uh, the disciples of John came and asked Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus said, well, I'm only here for a short while, but once I leave, they will fast. So it has something special to do with the fact that Jesus is amongst them. And also, we know that the disciples have really been grappling with and not really in full understanding of the fact that Jesus has proclaimed that he will be put to death. And they've not really liked this idea. They've tried to talk him out of it. You know, I think, you know, Peter specifically had had a big issue with this. And here as like they challenge, they challenge what, this, what the woman is doing in, in her anointing. Um, in verse 8, the second half of it says, she has anointed my body beforehand for, for burial. So it's really interesting to see how she has like correctly identified that, you know, Jesus is going to be put to death and that there should be a time where, you know, they're honoring him, they're worshiping him, you know, through everything that they do. Uh, she clearly like used something super expensive to anoint him. Uh, where, you know, whereas like typically would be like customary to just use like a drop of oil. Like she's like, she break breaking the, fl- the flask that she has of oil and like putting, pouring this expensive oil over him. And, you know, Jesus is saying that, you know, sh- what she did was a, a beautiful thing. And I think that as Michael said, thinking to how, you know, this is the last, some of the last moments that the disciples are going to have uh, to be taught by, to be in the presence of Jesus. I think it's just super touching and, and super meaningful to just you know, think about what he said in verse seven for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. I don't know. I think that in that situation, I think that the disciples really were touched by that. And, you know, potentially like this was like beginning to be like a moment where they're realizing what's really going to happen. You know, we know that they're going to begin to feel immense amounts of fear. Um, you know, looking for, we know that Judas is going to betray Jesus. We know that Peter's going to deny him and it's really starting to settle in really at the, at the last minute here, um, that this is all really real and, um, that it's really going to happen. And we start to see that, that fear kind of come through, um, as we get closer to the time when, when Jesus will be taken and, 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 and crucified. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love the last verse. Maybe one of my favorite verses in the entire in the entire gospel. Jesus says, I say to you, whatever or wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And isn't that true? 2000 years later, we're speaking of this woman who anointed Jesus. And so this is being said uh, of this woman, praising this woman for what she did to Jesus when others thought that it was a a sinful or a wrong or wasteful act. And so we're here talking about it. And that's 
that's incredible to me. And so, yeah, I really like this this passage. And we really see a switch here because we go from this this uh, thing that, you know, is anointing Jesus. It's showing Jesus in a glorious manner. It's, you know, like a great showing of uh, how people should respond to Jesus. But the immediate next verse is about how people should not respond to Jesus. And so we see then that Judas uh, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. And so unlike the woman who is basically you know, giving everything that she has to, to anoint him, you doing something very costly to anoint him. Judas is going to betray him for, I think what's the equivalent of like $20. So Judas is not even getting paid a lot to betray him. And Judas uh, goes against uh, his master. And that's really crazy just because, you know, aside from like the money part of how much, you know, potentially, like, you know, it says 300 uh, denarii for, you know, the oil that, that she, you know, spilt on Jesus, but, you know, we also see that, you know, he says that, you know, she did what she could, uh, in verse eight, she has, she has done what she could. And, you know, we see that, you know, what, what little she had, she's giving to glorify Jesus. Right. And then we see, you know, Judas, like for just, you know, pennies on the dollar, you know, betray Jesus. And we even see later on that she's going to give him the opportunity to, you know, take it back and to not do that. And, you know, we see that this is like such a grave, um, mistake that Judas is making, but it's also interesting to think about the fact that, you know, we know that this will also, we'll also talk about this later on, but, you know, no matter what, Jesus is going to be put to death. Um, he's, he's on the road to the cross and to die for our sins. And, you know, this betrayal by Judas, you know, just because Judas betrayed him, that's not the, that's not the reason why, why, you know, why Jesus is put to death. It has nothing to do with that. Um, but specifically, uh, more so that, you know, you know, there's a, a prophetic, um, you know, mentioning of Jesus being betrayed uh, by one of his disciples. And, you know, but we know that Jesus is going to be, he's on, on this path to redeem all of us. And Judas makes a grave mistake here, but you know, that's really unfortunate for him. But we do see that he does get a chance to, you know, potentially like take it back. And, and we know that he doesn't. Um, but getting into, you know, where that opportunity actually comes in is, is at, you know, the, the Passover um, feast that, that Jesus has, you know, with his disciples and we get to see like how that's prepared. Um, and then we get to see the Lord's supper, which is, which is super interesting as well. So let's, let's dive into that now. Yeah. I think it's no accident as we get into, in, into the Lord's supper, into the Passover meal with the disciples on that Thursday evening. I feel like it's no accident that the God, that the authors of the different gospel accounts, cause this is prevalent. And I think all of them, but just how much they're using the terms about the Passover and the unleavened bread, because they're signifying something here, that Jesus is the eternal Passover lamb, who in uh, John's words in the first chapter of his gospel, I think, says the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And uh, in terms of the unleavened bread, Jesus is the bread of life, John chapter 6. He's the eternal manna. He's the bread of the presence from the tabernacle. And so I think that this is no accident. And so as we get into... Uh, the Passover meal, the disciples are asking him where he can, or where they can prepare the meal. And so, uh, Andre, do you want to kind of get into that story and what happens there and what, what the disciples do? Yeah, the most interesting thing for me, aside from, you know, the fact that he says, go and you're going to find this man and he's going to give you this this room. And we've kind of seen that before with the donkey. And we know that we're seeing the unraveling of God's plan uh, take place. And, and we see that, you know, the right things and the right people are, are coming into place for all that. What I do see, what I do think that was really interesting about when Jesus says, where the disciples asked Jesus, where, where shall we prepare, um, the Passover meal? You know, we don't really like see any mention of, you know, them eating anything besides, you know, the bread and, and the wine. 
And it's super interesting that, you know, in the absence of a Passover lamb or a Passover meal, we, we see um, Jesus be present and we see them eating the bread, which is, is you know, to represent his body and the wine to represent his blood. And it becomes like super real that, you know, he is the, you know, the, the Passover lamb here. And then in this specific instance where, where they're having the, this Passover feast and like they're preparing it and they're, you know, really preparing the way for Jesus to go. And we see that he's going to pray um, to the Lord. And, you know, we know that he's, um, you know, restless because of this. Um, and it's, you know, really in, in, in preparation of, you know, what is to come in the coming hours. Yeah, man, that's really good. And it's interesting just how he, uh, so he speaks to how they're going to betray him. Somebody's going to betray them and they're all worried. They're all sorrowful. They're all, they, they don't understand. And, but Jesus says, woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. And it'd be better if he wasn't even born. And so, you know, some people ask, you know, was Judas saved? And funny story, actually, I was at a Bible study one time and I was, uh, texting somebody at the same time which i shouldn't have been doing this was a few years ago and so somebody asked our the group leader you know do you think judas was saved and i heard do you think jews are saved and so then i ended up texting the person i was texting like somebody just asked if they think jews are saved and they were asking about judas and so i think that but i think that what we see here is that jesus saying that uh, and the story unravels in this way that Judas does not come to repentance and to salvation in the way that Peter comes to uh, gospel-centered repentance. And so Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper starting in verse 22. This is my body, uh, and as we know from other texts, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then uh, the blood of the covenant is poured out for many. In verse 24, he says, he says that. And so this is a direct echo of Exodus 24, where in verses 3 to 8, Moses essentially s- seals the covenant and institutes the, the Mosaic covenant with the people of Israel uh, by the by the blood. And so Jesus is the, a fulfillment of that. And he's a fulfillment of a prophesied covenant in Jeremiah 31 about a new covenant with the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus is doing something really special here at the Lord's Supper. And like Mike said, where, you know, at the the very end of the last section, I just want to add, like, that was, you know, the the moment I was talking about where Judas had a chance to, you know, change his mind. You know, Jesus was looking at him right in the eyes, as he probably did to all the disciples and said, one of you is going to betray me. And that was his moment to, you know, say, I'm sorry, it was me, please forgive me. And, you know, I don't know for sure, but I think Jesus would have forgiven him if he had gone back on his plan. And I think that, you know, redemption could have been in store. Unfortunately, he didn't take that last chance. And then thinking also to the Lord's Supper, like Michael said as well with the covenant, I think that it's super interesting to think of about how, you know, he tells them to, to continue to, to do this in remembrance of him and to eat and to drink. We know how vital eating and drinking are for life. And I think that shows how vital Jesus is to our salvation. I think this is the first of two specific examples, which I wanted to point out where we see that how vital Jesus is and, and how vital his death is to us being saved and how it is all because of Jesus and not, not to anything that we have done, but is, you know, we, we see God's grace, you know, being poured out with, you know, Jesus's blood being poured out. And we see that, you know, that covenant of, of us being able to have our salvation. Guess what time it is. What time is it? It's Oreo sandwich time. So if you have not been following along with us, you're just jumping in for this episode or you haven't heard heard the other mentions of this, Mark uses a lot of sandwiches where he uh, begins a theme and then interjects a story in the middle and then finishes that first theme, creating a sandwich of sorts. And he's emphasizing how those two things fit together. And so here we have the 
he, well, for two things. First, we have that he's uh, the preparation for the Passover meal with the disciples. And then we have the conversation about betrayal, which is a finishing of the sandwich that started with Judas betraying Jesus in verse 10. And then we have that he says that one of you will uh, betray me. And then that sandwiches with uh, Jesus foretelling a denial. So Jesus uh, speaks of betrayal and then Jesus speaks of denial. So we have a lot of different sandwiches going on here. And then we also had the Passover lamb from uh, there, the Passover meal from verses from verse 12 to 16 continued with 22 to 25. So that's like two or three sandwiches right there. So that is my little comment on the Oreo sandwiches. And th- there's a lot in this chapter. So. And speaking more to, you know, the denial that, you know, Mike is, is, is mentioning here is specifically, uh, Jesus is telling Peter, um, you know, he's telling all the disciples that one of them is going to, uh, deny him three times specifically. And, you know, Peter in his pride says, surely it will not be me. Uh, in verse 30, <laughs> truly, I tell you this very night. No, nah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Going back before that in verse 29, even though if they all fall away, I will not, um, and in verse 31, Peter says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And we see his, you know, his pride, and I'm sure that he really means it. But we also have seen um, how fear has motivated people um, during this, you know, you know, we, we know that the disciples weren't super um, happy about this decision. They're obviously fearful about it. They don't know what's going to come next. They're not aware that, this, that the Spirit is coming. Um, they obviously love Jesus. They don't want him to die. And, you know, he, he has this moment of pride here we see that he's going to fall because of his, his fear. And yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that, and I think we might've mentioned this in another episode, but Peter's fear manifests itself in both fight and in flight, because we see that this is, we're going to see his flight where he denies Jesus three times, but we're also going to see his fight when he, he's, his name's not mentioned in it, but John does identify him as the one who cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And so we see both of those two things at the same time. And we know that Peter will eventually learn his own weakness and that he'd stored up too much in himself. And so are you good just jumping into the prayer in Gethsemane? Yeah, for sure. And I think this is a super important section that when you spend, you know, just a few minutes on and you know, the, the overlying theme is uh, that, you know, Jesus is, he's, um, it says that he took Peter, James, and John. Um, he was distressed and troubled. We see that in verse 33. And he tells them 30, in verse 34, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. He wants the disciples to stay behind, to pray, to watch um, as he's going to go and pray to the Father. And we know that when he gets back, they're asleep. And, you know, it, it kind of, they kind of let Jesus down. I mean, I, Jesus in his full understanding of, of, you know, the humanity of, of Peter, James, and John probably knows that they're going to fall asleep. Um, I don't think that, you know, I, I think that obviously I think he's, he's, he's hurt by that. And I think that that's fo- focused on a lot, but I think that the prayer that Jesus has in, in the conversation with the father, I think that that's like also something super important that we need to focus on in verse 36, where he says, uh, you know, he begs with the father, remove this cup from me. You know, he's, he's really pleading and, and, and asking if there's a different way for this, you know, for salvation to be accomplished. And, you know, the fact that a, a different way is not presented by the father to Jesus, we know like how hurt, you know, God was seeing um, Jesus suffering through, you know, through everything that's to come. We know that this was the only way that, you know, Jesus dying was the only way for salvation. And I think that, you know, here when we, we see that there's no alternative that's presented to Jesus. Um, and he makes that decision. 
this is where he makes that decision that he is he's truly going to go and he's he's going to he's going to die on the cross for all of our sins. He knows it's the only way and then we know that it's the only way as well because no other way is provided. Yeah, that's really good, man. Just real quick. Uh verse 36 Andre's talking about remove this cup. Cup is a frequent or uh it's not just in this text. It's a frequent reference to God's wrath. Jesus saying remove uh your judgment, remove your wrath because he knows what's going to come. But I want to say on the other side of that, it's not that Jesus was on earth to tabernacle or dwell among us, and this wasn't the plan from the beginning. We know Jesus has been talking about going to the cross all along. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter, who is failing in this chapter but will ascend to uh, great preaching in, in the book of Acts, we know that Peter says that Jesus was delivered up according to the foreknowledge of God. And so God has ordained this way in this manner uh, as as the path of salvation. And so Jesus, this is no accident. And in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So Jesus endures and will endure in the coming chapters, the cross for our salvation. And I just want to dispel one notion. And then if you have anything else on this section, we can, you, we can go through that or we can move on. But the one thing I want to say is that uh, there are some people who see distinct wills between Jesus or the Son of God and the Father uh, in the Trinity, two different wills. God as one has one will. And so we see here that in when Jesus says, yet not what I will, but what you will in verse 36, he this is not saying that the Son and the Father have two different wills. God has one, one will. And Jesus in his humanity is uh, surrendering to the divine will. And so they don't have one will. God has one will, uh, one plan uh, for all of creation, for all of his glory. And so that's all I got there. That's really good, man. So, yeah, we know that disciples um, fall asleep. um, And then, you know, we get to see um, how Judas betrays Jesus. Specifically, um, he tells them, you know, I'm going to you know, kiss uh, the man um, who is Jesus, and then that's how you're going to know who you, need to, who you need to take away and, and, and who Jesus is. And, you know, interestingly enough, you know, yeah, we get to see the betrayal by Judas, but it's interesting how, you know, they wouldn't have been able to identify him had Judas not, you know, kissed him. That's kind of interesting to me that they don't know what he looks like. And then also we see Jesus, like, you know, call them out. He's like, you have all these swords and clubs, and you bring all these people to capture me. Like, he's not even, like, putting up a fight. Um, you know, you know, it's like, it's like, kind of calling them out and you know we know that um god is in control here we this is you know going to happen despite them all their swords and all their clubs and and you know the betrayal and you know jesus understands that and he's he's calling him out he's like what's what's all this like what's all this? i'm, I'm right here <laughs> i'm not i'm not gonna fight or anything but he knows that the irony is that he could have snapped his fingers and all, all of them could have just you know been put into a coma or you know been killed or whatever <laughs> you know he knows that he's He's the one who who's in control, who has, you know, the power here, not them, despite their swords. And then, you know, that kind of also, you know, rings true when he's before the council and they're asking them all these questions and they're interrogating him and they're putting him on trial. And the irony there is, you know, Jesus is being put on trial, but, you know, you know, how are the tables going to turn later on when all of them are the ones who wanted to put Jesus to death and they're the ones on trial and, you know, Jesus, as we know, the only way to for salvation and you know you know the tables are going to turn and they're going to be the ones on trial so there's another you know piece of irony there as well man that's really good i like that piece about irony and you know another thing that's kind of funny or ironic or interesting is that in verse 47 mark writes but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear 
And so that's the same, basically the same sentence that's in Matthew's account and in Luke's account. But John, John writes, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and, and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And I actually was on either Instagram or Twitter the other day, and there was a funny meme about how uh, the there was like a face on the right that was like portraying uh Peter's face and it was like in Matthew Mark and Luke's accounts of uh the betrayal of Jesus and Peter was just chilling and then it was like John's account where Peter is mentioned and then uh it was like a sad face and so John's the only one who actually tells us that it was Peter but yeah it's Peter here who cuts who who fights so we're gonna see like I said the the fight and the flight here he's fighting that's how his fear uh is manifesting itself here so again and in between that section and uh you know where Jesus is, is before the council on trial. This that, is the weirdest section yeah. in the entire gospel. So this section here, <laughs> you know, the young man fleeing, I don't, couldn't really find anything like super useful in the section. And I don't really know the relevance here, but I did see one thing that, you know, potentially this was Mark. Yeah. I and saw he, that too. he, he kind of just wanted to throw it in there that he was there and, you know, potentially saying like, you know, he was afraid too. And he was experiencing the same emotions and feelings as all the other disciples. And Hey, I was there and you know, here I am. <laughs> and that's kind of, <laughs> kind of it. And it was just throwing it in there. But I mean, that's, I don't know what else could be said about that section, but more so towards, uh, you know, the trial, uh, if you don't have anything else on, on that little piece. Well, I think it's, yeah. So I do think that more than likely, I'd guess I'd say it's Mark, but speculation is probably not even worth it. Although one other explanation was the, the Greek words for linen cloth in 52 are only elsewhere in Mark in 16.5. Um, and so that there's some sort of connection between the white garment and the linen cloth. Um, but due to time, probably just not worth getting in. It could be Mark, could be young man, could be someone else, but Mark doesn't give us enough enough clues to just nail that down. Yeah, sweet. And, and, uh, looking more to the trial, which, you know, I've already kind of alluded to how there's some irony there, but more specifically, um, you know, we see that, uh, you know, Jesus isn't really like defending himself, um, and I, I saw like a, like a little note in, in my Bible that was like, you know, this points back to Isaiah where, you know, it said that, um, that, you know, that Jesus would not open his mouth during this, you know, during this interrogation, like a, like a sheep, uh, you know, set before its shears. Uh, so also silent will be, you know, Jesus, um, you know, he won't open his mouth during this, like during this interrogation. And I, I think that was really, really interesting to, you know, think of that as something that was, you know, prophesied that that would happen just because there's like so many people that you know jesus has healed he's brought back from the dead um he's done all these like miraculous healings and and fed thousands of people and and i feel like you know if this was like a proper trial you know he could have called any all of those people to come and and testify for him and and, and it already says that you know the stories weren't really adding up and and you know the trial was kind of kind of weird kind of a wash and and you know i feel like easily you know he could have had all these people come and testify before him and we see that he doesn't he doesn't fight it. He doesn't open his mouth. You know, he's silent before the trial and, you know, ultimately, um, he's going to, he's going to be, he's going to be crucified for, you know, a, a crime he did not commit in, in full innocence. Yeah. I want to pull out two things here. One is that in verse 54, it says Peter had followed him at a distance, but this is, and we haven't even gotten to Peter's denial, but this is right after in, in, uh, verse 31, Peter had said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so coming off the I'll die with you and now Peter's at a distance, Mark's already hinting at the fact that it's not going to go well for Peter. Peter's not really going to follow through on that one. And then just the other thing is that this is not, this is not like, you know, about Jesus's healings or about 
any of that sort of thing. It's about specific claims that Jesus made, not just about being, not just about making messianic claims, but about the temple. And so this is like one of the few connections back to uh, chapters 11 through 13, but it says they're, they're claiming that they've heard him say, I'll destroy this temple. And in three days I'll build another. And so this is most clearly seen in John two, when Jesus talks about the temple, uh, but it's that Jesus's words about the temple were dangerous. They were costly. And the people don't realize that Jesus is the new temple. That's why uh, I was actually just teaching a Bible study on Revelation 22 yesterday. And uh, one of the things I pointed out was in Revelation 22, it says that maybe it's 21, but it says that there's no, yeah, 21 probably. Yeah, I think at the end of the chapter, but there's no temple because the, because God was present in perfection and uh, there was no need for sun or moon because the glory of the Lord uh, was was the light. And so they don't realize that the temple to come is not this physical thing that they need. The temple is Christ and the temple is the body of Christ. And that's us. And that really like connects really well with how, you know, you know, Jesus's blood is the new covenant, you know, and, and it, his body is, is the new temple. I think those, you know, those two things, obviously this whole chapter here kind of just like ties up a whole bunch of loose ends and then ties it all like beautifully together as, as we like right before um, we, we see uh, the crucifixion. Um, but then, you know, we also could see um, Peter denying Jesus, just as Jesus said that he would um, denies him three times to three different people uh, before the, the rooster crows twice, just as Jesus said he would. Um, and I think it's really, you know, um, impactful to see how, you know, Peter realizes that he messed up. And we just see that he's he's sad. He, he's like in a mournful state. He's like, you know, just thinking that you know he he understands that he he has wronged Jesus. Yeah, that's good. And I think that one thing that's interesting is uh, the like Andre said, Jesus is being silent in trial. The one thing he says after he's been asked, "Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of the Blessed?" Jesus says, "I am." You'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Just like in chapter 13, he refers to himself as the Son of Man from Daniel 7. And now that Peter's denying Jesus, I just want to real quickly talk about him versus Judas. So with Judas, uh, we saw that Judas had unbelief about forgiveness. He was humiliated, and that's why he ended up hanging himself. But with Peter, we end up seeing a belief in forgiveness, that he eats breakfast with Jesus by the sea in John 21. Uh, and he ends up surrendering all to Jesus. And that's why we see his ministry, his sermon at Pentecost and more in Acts and in the New Testament writing first and second Peter even. And so there's a big difference between Judas, just uh, ungodly regret and Jesus and uh, Peter, who is showing true repentance. And there was a great article about that in the Gospel Coalition the other day. And uh, Peter, uh, in the denial of Jesus, this is another end of the sandwich uh, because we'd seen parts about the arrest and the betrayal. And then somebody fleeing. And so now we see the denial as we came out of the trial. And so after the rooster crowed a second time, Peter remembered, because he's denied him three times at this point, uh, Jesus had said before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And so he he weeps. Man, as we close, this is a, a sad closing to the chapter, a long 72 verse chapter. But do you have anything here? What do you think? No, I just want to reiterate that, you know, this chapter has a lot of information, but it sets us up uh really nicely for what we're going to be talking about next week with uh, Mark chapter 15, um, you know, starting off with, you know, you know, Jesus being delivered to Pilate and, you know, we're going to get to see the, uh, the crucifixion. So I'm really excited for that as well. And I'm, and I'm really thankful for, you know, as you said, these 72 verses, which are setting us up for that. And we get to see, we got to see the institution of, of the Lord's Supper, but then also, like Michael said, um, the betrayal by both 
Judas and Peter and, and how we see the restoration of, of Peter and, and not of Judas. And uh, so I'm really excited to get uh, to Mark chapter 15 next week. And then also uh, we're going to start, you know, sending out some uh, potentially on Instagram or other, other places if you want to, you know, email or, or whatever uh, questions for uh, season uh, question uh, Q&A, uh, which we also had last season, uh, which a lot of people uh, send in questions and, and we go through those and answer those um, as well as we can. And then also uh, with Christmas being this week, uh, we just want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas um, and uh, we'll see you guys back next week. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.